Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. Bless the Lord. So good to be here this morning with you. Um, during worship, I just kept hearing the Lord say, to me, the word remnant. And it felt like he was saying that he's dealing with a remnant. And uh, he always deals with a faithful few. You know, it's, it's God can deal by, can deliver through many or by few. He, he, you know, Jonathan was going up against the Philistines with his armor bearer by himself. And, uh, you know, the Philistines said, come on up here. It was just him and his armor bearer. There was a whole troop of Philistines. And God delivered them all into his hands, and it began a mighty victory for the whole army of Israel. And the Lord was highlighting to me in worship that he's dealing with a remnant. And... I really feel like that's an invitation for each of us to be a part of of the remnant, the faithful, to stay faithful. He's faithful. He's looking for those who will be faithful and bring about his purposes in the earth. So those who have an ear to hear, let them hear what the Lord is saying. I want to talk to you this morning. I just want to... You know, the Bible says to give honor where honor's due, and um, I want to echo Corley's words about the worship. I was, I was feeling that even in the first service. Like, we are so blessed with the people that God is he's bringing in every skilled and talented musician and singer to bring forth and lead us in worship. So we just, God, we thank you and we honor them. Uh, I was very, Colt spoke a word last week about standing in the gap, and it it spoke to something very deep inside of me because there are times and moments when God reminds you of who he's called you to be. The Bible tells us that we were created for God and for his pleasure. We were created for God and for his pleasure. He's put a DNA inside of us that when we step into the purposes of God, we come alive. We come alive. Job chapter 14, beginning of verse 7, 7 through 9, I just want to read this. It says, for there is hope for a tree if it's cut down that it will sprout again and that its tender roots will not cease. Though its roots may grow old in the earth and its stump may die in the ground, yet at the scent of water it will bud and bring forth branches like a plant. There are things for which you were created for that God is going to start to breathe on that's going to give you life. And I just so moved this morning by the fact of, you know, going back to roots. At the scent of water, the roots begin to bud again, it said. 
when God called us to begin this work, we had no idea we were going to be planting a church. Sometimes people say he's Jehovah Sneaky. Because <laughs> if he shares with you everything, sometimes you'd be over, you, you, you would be overwhelmed and you might throw back in doubt and unbelief or fear, etc. So he gives you what you can handle and you just stay obedient. So God called us. We were all from Brooklyn. There were six of us that started, Sal and Juliana, Tammy and I, another couple started with us. We felt like God's called us to cross over the Brooklyn Bridge into Manhattan and to just raise up prayer. And um, we were set apart for that. We were set apart. And, and so that's, that's, part, that's, that's the core of who we are. Uh, turn with me to Isaiah 59. I want to just give this scriptural context. Isaiah 59, beginning of verse 16. I think Colt was sharing from the scripture last week. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. For truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. So truth fails. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey or a target or the hunted. Then the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. Verse 16. He saw that there was no man and he wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought forth salvation and his own righteousness, it sustained him. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 22. Beginning at verse 30 and 31. So I sought for a man among them who would make up a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Therefore, I've poured out my indignation on them, and I have consumed them with fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord. God's desire is that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But God cannot violate his own word, right? God, God is true. And so it says in Psalm 115, verse 16, that the heaven, even the heavens of heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth is given to the children of men. So God does nothing in the earth except through men because he's given the earth to, the, to men. And as we just read in Isaiah 59, when he looked for someone, he saw that there was no man, and he wondered that there was no intercessor. An an intercessor is someone who stands in that gap that we refer to in Ezekiel, between how it should be and how it is. We know how the kingdom, we know what God, God's kingdom will come to the earth and he will rule and reign for a thousand years. When people tell you it's the end, they don't know the story because it, there was, the, it, when Jesus comes back, he rules on this earth 
for another thousand years. So there's no end. But he's going to come and save the whole earth because left to ourselves, it's a mess. But he will come. And then there'll be a thousand years of true peace. But right now we stand in a gap before that happens and we're asking for his mercy. We're seeing how things are and how things should be. And we're asking God, have mercy. We're standing. When, when <clears throat> in Isaiah 59, he saw that there was no man and he wondered that there was no one. Therefore, his own arm brought forth salvation for him. Why did God, like, work out salvation the way he did for us? Why, why did there have to be a promised Messiah to come, to be born in the lineage of man? Why can he just change it? Because he gave the earth to men. He wants to partner with you and I. He wants to partner with men to see his purposes in the earth. And when there was no man... He sent his only son, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God himself came in the flesh as a man to be that intercessor. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. As a man, he stood. He paid a price for us. He lived a life. <clears throat> and we're called to be Christ-like, right? We're put on Christ to make no provision for the flesh. He wants people that will stand in the gap because this world needs Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, it says, Therefore I, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. I want to talk this morning about the importance of prayer. Um, not just in our personal lives for ourselves, but the importance that we enter into partnership with God and pray his purposes in the earth. Paul makes a distinction between supplications, prayers, and intercessions. It's important that we understand and start to enter into the place of intercession. To not just be concerned with, okay, God, bless me, my family, us four, no more. <laughs> but to, to see God's plans and purposes. He invites you on a journey. It's to partner with him to see his purposes in the earth. And it starts in the place of prayer. You know, to the unregenerate mind to the, you know, if, you, if you're not born again, if you don't really understand the things of God, and maybe even some people who are born again but don't fully understand prayer, you know, it, it seems like it's weak. Just, I want to go and do. But you can accomplish more by partnering with God in that place of humble prayer because prayer is a place of humility. It's saying, God, we beseech you because we have nothing good in ourselves, but we're looking to you. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1, beginning of verse 14. The context in Acts is Jesus has, has died. He rose again on the third day. He appeared to the disciples. And then right before this, he's, he's ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God. 
And it says in Acts 1, beginning of verse 14, or at verse 14, it says, These all continued, all of the, the disciples, in one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. Now, the great work of redemption had already been accomplished. Uh, Christ had promised the coming of the Holy Spirit, and he's, he's now sat down at the right hand of the Father in heaven. But all this wasn't enough. One more thing was needed. Ten days of united, continued supplication of the disciples. Intense, continued prayer prepared the hearts of the disciples and opened the windows of heaven and brought down the gift of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Spirit could not be given without Christ sitting on his throne, but neither could the Spirit descend without the fervent, persistent prayer of the disciples. See, God desires to partner with us. Turn with me to Acts 12. In Acts 12, beginning of verse 1, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some that belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this met the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. And this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. Now, after arresting Peter, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers, 16 soldiers. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Verse 5, it says, so Peter was kept in prison, but, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. I want to submit to you that this, it doesn't say he, they were just praying. They were earnestly praying. There was an intensity about their prayer that I would suggest to you isn't, isn't just the, a supplication or a petition. It's entering into the place of intercession. You're not worried about yourself. You're praying for someone else. And you're standing in that gap between how it should be and how it is. How it should be is, Peter's doing the work of the Lord. He was called of God to, be, you know, to, to build the church. And because of that, he was thrown in prison. So there's an injustice here. And they're standing crying out, earnestly praying. This was a fervent prayer. It's probably deep inner guttural groans of the Holy Spirit, like birth pangs. Let's continue. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, God has something about the last hour. <laughs> Couldn't have delivered him a week before. You know, faint not. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't turn, don't faint. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping beside two soldiers bound with two chains. And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone into the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. He said, quick, get up, Peter. <laughs> and, and, <clears throat> and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And, and Peter did so. He told him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. 
And so Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. In fact, Peter thought he was seeing a vision or he was having a dream. They passed the first and second guards, came to the iron gate leading to the city, and it opened by itself. And they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. And all of a sudden, Peter realized, oh, my gosh, this is not a dream. This is real. So when it had dawned on him that this was really happening, The Lord, that the Lord had sent his angel to rescue Peter from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people had hoped would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, and he also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. This is the place where the intercession was happening, the earnest prayer, the groanings, the guttural birthing. That happens in the place of intercession. Peter knocked on the entrance, and the servant named Rhoda came to the door. And when she recognized him, without opening the door, she exclaimed, Peter's at the door! And they looked at her and told her, you're out of your mind. (laughs) And they told her. But when she kept insisting, they said, well, maybe it's his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him, and they were astonished. And Peter motioned with his hand to them to be quiet. All right, calm down. And he described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell James and the other brothers and the sisters about this. And then he left and went to another place. Now, what would have happened had the church not gathered in this earnest prayer, this intercession. We know that Herod put James to death. It doesn't say that there was earnest prayer for James. I, I don't know. But I can only know what the Scripture tells me. And then when they, they took Peter, all of a sudden the church said, we better start praying. <laughs> And they went into not just, okay, Lord, help Peter. See you next Sunday, guys. No, they gathered and they were earnestly praying. And as a result, God sent an angel. God wants to partner with you and I. He's looking for people who will partner for his purposes in the earth. The word about a remnant is I I believe... That you are part of the remnant that God has called to enter into a place of friendship with God where when he reveals secrets to you, you will pray the heart of God, for the mercy of God, for the grace of God. But friendship with God is not for the casual. He's holy. He wants us to walk in in closeness with him. Let's look at Luke chapter 11, talking about different kinds of prayers. Timothy said there's 
prayer, supplication, intercessions, giving of thanks. There's a reason he, 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 he delineates the types of prayers. So Luke 11, the, the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray. So John taught his disciples, please teach us. And he says, okay, when you pray, use this model. And he gave him a model. He started with our Father, which was radical for the day, but that speaks of identity. He was talking about your sons and daughters. God is your Father, and we're walking in identity. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom, let it come on earth as it is in heaven. But skip down with me to verse 5 because he continues teaching on prayer. And he says, beginning of verse 5, he said to the disciples, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on the journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer, what are you, out of your mind? Do you know what time it is? Everybody's asleep. Why are you knocking on my door? Do not trouble me. My door is shut. I cannot rise and give you what you want. He says, I say to you, though he will not rise and give him because he is a friend, yet because of his persistence, everyone say persistence. Persistence, it's a virtue. Perseverance. Because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find it. Knock, and it will be open to you. Now the word ask, <clears throat> seek, knock are all, uh, in the original language, are like a continuum. It's like asking, keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks, he who asks and keeps on asking <coughs> will receive. He who seeks and keeps on seeking will find. And he who knocks and keeps on knocking, it will be opened. Now, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a, a serpent instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? No. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So it's interesting when Jesus is teaching how to pray, he first deals with identity. It's very important for us to understand our relationship to God. And then he goes and he starts talking about how you interact with a friend. In James 2.23, James 2.23 is in the scripture, talking about Abraham. It says, and the scripture was fulfilled. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. God's, God is looking for friends. John 15 13 to 15, the Gospel of John, Jesus talking. This is the part of the great upper room discourse. It says, greater love has no one than this, than he laid down his 
own, one's life for his friends. And then he says, you are my friends if, everyone say if, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know his mas- what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all the things I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. I want to be a friend of God. But just like salvation, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out my own way of salvation. I had to come through God's way. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God's made a way, and he's made a way for friendship. I want to be a friend of God. I want to be known in heaven. You know, there's uh, most of us, it's a, it's a human tendency. We, we like to be recognized. You know, if you, the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, the first thing they tell you is remember people's names. <laughs> you know, people like to, oh, they remembered my name. We all like this. It's a human desire. It's not bad. It's a recognition. It, it, but more than being known on the earth, you want to be known in heaven. God wants us to be friends. Friends, friendship with God requires radical obedience. Jesus said, I call, you are my friends if you obey my commandments. When I look at those who are the friends of God in Scripture, they, had, they, were, they were radically obedient. Abraham was called a friend of God. Abraham, God asked Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, take him to the mountain I'm going to show you, and I want you to offer him up there. This was the son of promise. This was the son he was waiting for. He was like 95 years old when um, Isaac was born. And, and this was the promised son, yet God asked for the promised son. And Abraham went up to Mount Moriah and was just about to kill his son when the Lord intervened and said, now I know that you truly, like you'd do anything, that you would give your only son. Anyone who's a parent would know, like, it's unfathomable. But his obedience to the Lord, we, we read later that he, he recognized that he, the Lord could even raise him up. Friendship with God really requires radical obedience. And we need to ask the Lord for the gracious to be radical. You know, the, the world, you know, we get saved often where we're full of zeal. And then sometimes we start to lose some of that zeal. We need to try to, we need to ask the Lord, help, help me to maintain my my, my, my zeal and desire just to be all in, all in. Turn to me to Genesis uh, chapter 18. I want to, uh, God desires to partner in the earth with you and I. He, he does nothing in the earth except through men because he's given the earth to men. When there was no intercessor, when there was no one to stand in a gap, what did he do? He took on flesh and came himself as a man. Jesus was fully man on the earth. You know, sometimes we say, well, that was Jesus. But he was, you have to understand, he was fully man. His, he related to his father, but he wasn't operating in his, 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 as God on the earth. He was operating as a son, like you and I. So 
he only could do what he saw his father doing. The miracles he performed is because he was doing them in connection with the father. This is the same way you and I get to perform the miracles. We get to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. The same way Jesus was, was fully man on the earth. And it was because he was fully man that he made a way for the rest of us. Okay, turn with me at Genesis chapter 18, beginning of verse 16. It says, then the men arose. <clears throat> the context is the Lord is hearing a great outcry against the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So he comes down to see what's going on. And he stops by his friend's house because Abraham was a friend of the Lord. Then the men rose from, from there, and they looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely be a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have known him. He was known by God. This is what we want. We want to be known by God. <laughs> For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that, he may, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said to Abraham, because the outcry against, so he's sharing his secrets because he shares his secrets with his friends. And he says to Abraham, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grave, I'm going to go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, then I'll know. Then the men turned away from there and they went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood before the Lord. In other words, he stepped in front of him. And he says, and Abraham came near and he said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, Lord. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare that place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord once more. Suppose there were five less than 50 righteous. Would you destroy the city for a lack of five? So he said, if I find 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again. He supposed there be 40 found there. So, he, so the Lord said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry with me. And I'll speak once more. Suppose 30 should be found there. And the Lord said, I will not do it if there are 30 there. And then Abraham said, indeed, now I have spoken. I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be there. So the Lord said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then Abraham said, let not the Lord be angry with me. And I'm going to speak one more time. Suppose 10 should be there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way. And as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, Abraham returned to his place. Why is this story in the Bible? 
We know that there weren't even 10. We know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. But why is this story here? It's written for you and I to understand something. God wants mercy. He wants us to stand in the gap when things are not right and we know how things should be. There's a gap. This story is here to encourage us to be of the faith of Abraham. We've been grafted into the seed of Abraham. We need to walk in the faith of Abraham and say, God, have mercy. Have mercy. Hold back wrath. Hold back your indignation. You know, we read the scripture in Ezekiel just a moment ago, Ezekiel 22, that he sought for a man to stand in a gap who would make up a wall and stand in a gap that I shouldn't destroy the land, but he found none. And what happened? <laughs> Therefore, I poured out my indignation. I think we live in a time like never before when we need to be in the gap. I think the remnant is because he has really spoken to many, many, but particularly to this house, but to many others. I don't want to say it's just us. There's many, but I do believe he's speaking to us. That is a family, a company of believers. He wants people who will stand in the gap and cry out, mercy, God, mercy, God. We see a lot happening around the world. We need to cry out for mercy. Turn with me to Luke 22, beginning at verse 31. Jesus is addressing Peter. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. That your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. But Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And he said, Lord said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster's going to crow. It shall not crow this day before you'll deny me three times. What would have happened if Jesus had not prayed for Peter? Peter, who stood up on the day of Pentecost and explained the awesome phenomena that was happening, that was astounding and people didn't understand. Peter was the one who said, this is what was spoken of, that he'd pour out his spirit. But Satan mocked Peter and said, I want this one. But Jesus prayed for him. Jesus stood in the gap for Peter. Peter had some frailties. He was vulnerable. This is why it's so important that we pray for leaders. You can look around the body of Christ right now and I can begin to cry. Because so many of our leaders, this, I can only imagine that we just assume our leaders are okay. But where weak and broken people, I stand before you as a weak and broken person, I need prayer. Because you smite the shepherd and the sheep are scattered. There's a bigger target on leaders in the body of Christ. There's a target on every one of you. Like the enemy want, hates all of you. <laughs> Sorry. 
But you take out a leader and you shake the very foundation of other people in the faith, especially the newer believers who aren't who are still getting rooted. You take out a leader and they're like, what the heck happened? I, maybe I should get out of here. We, I need your prayers. The, the, anyone in leadership in the body of Christ recognize they're just flesh and blood. The same temptations you go through, we all go through. Pray, pray. Pray for all men, but especially those in authority. The scripture says, why? <laughs> the devil's got his bullseye because you have more of an impact. It, it's, 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 it's devastating. We all look around the body of Christ. You guys know. I don't have to say who or when or what. There's been enough failure, and I say there should be more intercession for leaders. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Psalm 25, 14, in the New Living Translation, says that the Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. You want to be a friend of God, we want to enter into friendship with God. It's costly. We're saved. It's a free gift. It's wonderful. But we want to draw near to God. You know, you can't be intimate with someone without proximity. Anyone ever had tried to have a long-distance relationship? You know, it's probably much easier today. You can do FaceTime and different things. But still, there's nothing like being present. I'm 63 years old. Throughout the course of my life, I've had different friends, some I would call best friends. But as the assignment on my life and my wife together, as, as our assignments have shifted, the time we spend with people by just the reality of being obedient to God, you, you, you're, you're spending time in different places, those friendships have changed. I have people that were, I would call some of my best friends, but we used to spend a lot of time together. And then as my assignments changed, they are still my good friends, but the intimacy level has shifted because intimacy requires proximity, spending time with somebody. Friendship with God requires proximity. The Bible says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. We need to spend time with the Lord. Intimacy requires proximity. Draw near. As you draw near, you'll experience the friendship. Be obedient. Be radically obedient. Sometimes that's hard. God's going to ask you to do things that certainly in your flesh you don't want to do, but you do it because he's your friend. He's, your, he's the best of best friends. Like he, I'll do it for you. I might not do it for anyone else, but I'll do it for you. That's our place. Draw near. Draw near. You are part of that remnant. Draw near to God. Let's all stand. Abraham was a friend of God. The Lord said, should I hide from Abraham the thing I'm about to do? 
since Abraham become a great, I know him. He's going to be a great nation. We're going to do three days of prayer and fasting this week. We have a prayer call. Can you put it up on the screen again? just want to encourage people. It's, this is part of our opportunity to partner with God, to be in that place of intercession. We fast from food because it's a, it's a spiritual discipline that tells our flesh, you don't rule over me. Your flesh is going to object. <laughs> I'll tell you in advance, even thinking about it, your flesh may start to scream. <laughs> That's just the reality. But then the question is, who rules you? Does your spirit man rule or are you led by the flesh? Your flesh will tell you you can't fast. It will give you every kind of reason not to. I get a headache. This happens. I get, I'm impatient. I lose. Yeah, crucify it all. Crucify it all. Fasting is one of the only spiritual disciplines that will really tame the desires of the flesh, which if left unchecked will try to destroy your life. God's inviting us into a place. He's inviting you. I'm going to ask everyone, close your eyes right now. Because there's an invitation to intimacy. It's not Bill's invitation. The Lord is wooing you right now. He is the great bridegroom and he's wooing you and asking, would you come away with him? Would you draw near to him? Would you forsake other lovers, other desires, not even bad things, but like eating is not a bad thing. <laughs> I love it. But sometimes we forsake even that because we want to draw near to God. There's an invitation here to be a friend of God, not on our terms, but on His, and to enter into a place of intimacy, which requires proximity. It's a sacrifice of time and other things, but it's His invitation. front is open if you want to just come and kneel before the Lord. Just respond to whatever he's on your heart, whatever he's speaking to you. We'll, we just want to bless what we see the Lord doing. So the prayer team may come up, may not, but we just, we just want to bless what God is already doing. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at Life Center Church NYC.